We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Weekly podcast, we're back again after a prolonged break, much hiatus. like yeah, hiatus, holiday, we didn't get to go to Spain though. No, Should have done. Should have tapped up the sponsors and said, listen, <laughs> we need to go and cover that fucking joke of a match <laughs> over there. Which, by the way, all the local clubs and pubs should. Still like <laughs> yeah. like hundreds of people packed in watching Newcastle play uh, a pointless match in the middle of a season against a terrible team um, who should have beat with. Joined today by Ben, Mickey and Mike, the latter two who are on the phone. Hello, lads. Hello. Uh, champion. And the... The format of today's show, we're going to do a bit of a look back at the weekend and look at the relegation picture before the week's fixtures. We'll do a Stuck preview and then we're going to do what we do every season and just do a 10 things we hit about this season so far. And just because we've got nothing else yeah, to talk there's, about. There's, I mean, even when Newcastle get beat, at least we can run for a bit, but the one <laughs> against Lillstrom. Uh so yes, just Ben, I'll come to you first of all. How have you managed this unprecedented 17-day gap? Is a 17, 18-day gap? Uh, pretty much with rugby, probably. Um, I'm gambling, doing a lot of gambling. <laughs> right. Doesn't sound healthy at all. It's not. I need football back. <laughs> yeah, just need a, just a, a break from losing money. Uh, Mickey, how have, you, how have you got on the like of football? I've probably done a lot, to be honest. I've been at work uh, more than usual because we're doing late nights now. Um, <laughs> I, bought a, I bought a PS4. I, I, I don't know if I've, I've, I've phrased the question well. I wasn't literally after what you've been doing. It was more like how how, how you've managed in, in relation to the fact people are losing faith in the club. And like, could you imagine uh, not going to the match? Not. Well, my auntie came around last Saturday. And, uh, <laughs> so, so, how, how is your auntie, by the way? I actually haven't missed it that much. It's right, been yeah. Terrible. It is. It is bad, isn't it? It has been. It has been a nice break, like. Just, just not having the stress. Summed up by, um, by not having, I've set up a new open team for anyone who plays FIFA, and I've, for the first time ever, I don't have the tune badge as the badge because I just couldn't be asked to put it on because I'm so sick of the cattle. Well, <laughs> if that. If Tony doesn't get the message on That's, that, what will it, you know? You exactly. can forget about your boycotts. You can forget about people not going to match. Mickey Collin and his ultimate team has not put the tune badge as the badge. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd see the day. Uh, Mickey, do you want to give your your uh, FIFA Ultimate Team name a shout out to get people to play, or, or, or do you not? I could, but I don't know what it is. All right, <laughs> take it seriously then. Hope you listen, Charlie. He doesn't even know the name of his team. It's the Newcastle fan without a Newcastle badge as his team. Just look, <laughs> look keep a lookout. Personally, moving swiftly on. Per- personally, um, yeah, I found it alarming how, apart from work related stuff, where I could have just done with the escape of going to the match and having a couple of pints. Um, that's that's a lot of what it is. It's literally an excuse to to get into town, isn't it? And see you guys. I mean, none of us live in the city, um, but it's been weird how it's all like you haven't like Man City. And part of it was a, it was a twelve o'clock Sunday sit kick off, and I was working till four on something like Sunday morning. But I was I was sitting there at twelve o'clock thinking. Normally, I'd be like, God, I wish the, I wish bloody Everton had done the job and we, we weren't. <laughs> And I was sat at St James's with you, like with you lads, rather than sat here at work again. Um, but I didn't really feel like that because I've, I've not really missed it. Like it's nice not to be depressed on a Saturday night. Yeah, well, or, about the football. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just in general. Yeah, everything else rubbish. 
Uh, Mike, you very much had plenty of football going on, going on have you not? Uh, I know the Championship programme has been intense. Oh, yeah, yeah, I treat myself to a look at the Christmas in the other week to see as a get done by uh, one of the worst teams I've seen play football for, for a long time. <laughs> uh, so that, that was a treat that I wish, uh, wish hadn't happened. Who was that? Yeah, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> we're, we're tearing things up in and around Mrs. Slash mid table. <laughs> at the moment, so uh, yeah, nothing too exciting, but uh, yeah, I, I did a break from that, I reckon, we'll, we'll swap next time. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think you, Ipswich, follow a, a broadly similar pattern anyway by trying to get knocked out of the Cups as early as possible, so they are, do, they are trying for you. They are, well, yeah, not, not being past the FA Cup for six years, and yeah, uh, generally it's a classic first round league come exit to a, to a lower league team, so uh yeah, keep, keep, it, keep it interesting. But at least, at least we took Portsmouth to a replay this year in the Cup uh, before, before, before getting turned over. So uh, there, there are signs of improvement. Definitely. Right, lads. The, the Premier League weekend before we look at Stoke. Mike, why, why don't you start us off? Defeats for everyone, <laughs> which was nice. Yeah, apart from Bournemouth. That was ideal. Apart from Bournemouth. How damaging do you see that uh, in relation for those clubs in the bottom? Or do you think because everyone... Drop points and, and your castle's game in hand is obviously Man City at home. Do you think that yeah. we're, we're kind of as you will, or do you think it's a bit more serious than that for a couple of the teams? Well, it's, uh, it's going to be a bit difficult for me not to sound a bit partisan here because uh, being man, I generally think looking at Norwich and looking at the game they've got left, I would um, I would be very concerned if I was a, a Norwich fan. Um, they've lost six of the last seven. Um, and they, they just can't stop shipping goals. They've got the worst um, defensive record um, alongside Sunderland in the whole league. Um, and they've even lost to Villa in the last few games, which I think is about whether for any team to just be dropping like a stone and, and get relegated. If you can't even pull out a win against Villa, uh, I think you've got to ask some serious questions. Um, so I, I think I think if you look at the likes of, uh, of Swansea, Palace are dropping, people are saying Palace will be, be be in trouble, but I think if you look at Palace now, they're on 32 points, you can you can see teams jamming five, six points by the end of the season and, uh, you know, without playing too, too tremendously well, and, and I think that will see them safe around 37, 38 points. I just, uh, I, I just think that it, it's not going to change too dramatically, I think Swansea will be, be sound, um, and I think it's between the three in the relegation zone and, and, and then Norwich. Um, but then if you look at those games that Norwich have got left, they've got um, Arsenal, United and Everton in the final three games and Chelsea and Man City in the next, in the next three as well. So they're tough fixtures for Norwich in, in coming off the run that they're on at the moment. Um, I find it difficult to see how, how, how they can get their way out of it. But having said that, I can't see any of the teams below them. So yourself, Sunderland, certainly Villa going on a, going on a particular run that would, that would uh, put the teams further above them under pressure. Um, so I, th- I think it's pretty much as you were, to be perfectly honest. I don't think an awful lot's changed. Fair enough. I well, think. Sorry, Mike. Mickey. <laughs> that's the presence. <laughs> Mickey, you know, you know, everything I say is not 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 gospel. It's not exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> In fact, it's quite the opposite. <laughs> I know, I see ben, ben right now is on bet three six five, just like putting loads of bets on my predictions. So, uh, <laughs> Quite, quite the opposite, Mike. I've, I've got Brentford to stay up for another year. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's fair enough. I was going to say, I think the the, the most frustrating thing, though, in, in the, the situation that they're in is Swansea, Norwich, and Sunderland all had very, very difficult games on paper. All didn't pick up any points, but all possibly... Maybe not should have because I think I think West Ham and, and Spurs and uh, Leicester were worthy worthy winners to an extent, but there were close games. Those right? there were close games that the releg- the relegation threatened sides definitely could have taken something wrong. Yeah, something wrong, something <laughs> from, and that's that's the worst thing. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't help us, but at least when we get smashed away from home, <laughs> we're just shite. We're, no no regrets. Yeah. Like we're not leaving anything <laughs> out there. Um, whereas the most frustrating, I mean, I look back to the most frustrating games of this season, are particularly Stoke, who are going to come on because I'm getting. Grief off a Stoke fanzine editor right now on Twitter. Um, uh, grief's a bit harsh. He's just making a disagreement with us in a couple of points. But um, how dare him? I know. Well, we're going to talk through it. <laughs> um, I'll open it to the floor. You haven't read the preview, so. But yeah, the, um, th- those teams there. Well, yeah, 
there's only so many times that they're going to they're going to play to a level in the remaining games. There are going to be games where they get turned over easily, mm-hmm. and Sunderland especially recently. And fair play to Allardyce, he often talks a load of rubbish, but recently he's he's talking a lot of sense, saying they can't keep dropping points in games they should be taking points from because in other games they play they don't deserve anything and they get nothing. So a lot like Newcastle, well not like Newcastle actually. Um, he's saying they're getting they aren't getting enough points. But they're also dropping points when they shouldn't. Whereas we, kind of, unlike McLaren says, certainly since Christmas, we've got everything we deserved. Whereas he's he's saying the opposite, and that's worrying him more that they're playing well, creating chances, and they still can't get anything. Like, what else can they do? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I think I think I think that's a good point about Aladice. I think generally, yeah, as you say, you get that impression that he's very bullshy, very he'll blame everything else other than his team when he when when he's been down that situation before. But I think, yeah, it's not just the last couple of weeks, I think over the last few months there have been several occasions when he said after games, you know, I'm worried, you can't stop missing chances, uh, can't keep missing chances and letting in so many goals. But, yeah, I, I think that tells a tale that even even Allardyce, the eternal kind of optimist or, you know, defender of, of, of his players, of, of his teams, is uh, clearly uh, clearly thinking that, he, he, you know, he doesn't he doesn't trust them to, to, get, to, to, to get out of the mess. Um, and probably thinking about his next move, I should think. I think you just look I'd at. Much his... rather. <laughs> Sorry, the, on me. the pitfalls of doing this on the phone. <laughs> yeah, Mickey, after you. I'd, I'd much rather hear what um, what Allardyce had to say than what McLaren has. Been <laughs> honest, at least he's been honest about the performances of the team. McLaren is just bare-faced lying to us week after week after week. Damn, the performance they're putting up. At least Allardyce, when it's when it's rubbish, is saying it's rubbish, and when it's when, he's play, when they're playing alright and they, they should be getting the points he's saying we're playing alright but we should be getting the points like that's much better to hear as a fan that at least your manager is, understands what's happening than McLaren saying this is the kind of form we need to stay when we're losing week after week after week playing shy football yeah I mean I think as well it comes down to experience I mean Allardyce has seen this plenty of times and he? he's been in more relegation battles than, than most people would probably uh Get a dream for, but um, just McLaren obviously just doesn't have a clue. Like he doesn't really know how to approach it. I think is the biggest worry. So he's obviously trying to stay positive and keep keep all the players' morale high and all the rest of it. Thinking if he comes out and doesn't slate anyone and and keeps saying, "Oh well, we're playing well, but we, just, we didn't deserve to, to do that," I think he's sort of coddling the players a bit too much. Thinking that that I mean, maybe it's an assessment of the club. I think we are quite soft, so quite a few of the players probably do need that, but. It's it's just obviously a very different approach to as you say Allardyce, who's just being brutally honest with his players. I'll disagree with this a bit because Allardyce uh, talks a lot of sense in situations like that, but when they are shit, he reverts to type. <laughs> when, when they drew against Bournemouth at home and Bournemouth absolutely battered them, and uh, with about twenty minutes to go, we took off a striker for for a hole in midfielder. Hang on, so you're arguing with your own point? No, no, you I, were the one that raised this in the first place. I was, I was making, <laughs> but I was making a different point. I was making the point about what had he worried that they're going down, that they're, they're going down. I'm not saying he's he's totally honest all of the time with his fans, <laughs> like you were saying. He, Whoa, he often like that, that Bournemouth game. He, he he tried to talk up saying it was a great point, and like he, he still got it. He still has his fair share of bullshit. Um, but not, not not as much as some people though. Not as much as some people. Moving on. Oh, just quickly, another dice. Have any of you seen his Twitter account? No. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely <laughs> not him. Like, why anyone? It's basically like one of us setting up an account saying Sam Allardyce and just posting like nice things about Sunderland in the area, <laughs> and then people going, "Oh, look what Sam saying?" He <laughs> gets us, does Sam? Like, it's not him. It's it's not him. It's it's most likely the book company who are plugging his autobiography. Which is why he create like I just don't know why anyone engages or read, like it's just not him. I don't I don't even think he knows it exists. <laughs> People are like Sam, what 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 team are you playing next week? I don't know, but there's a lovely chippy down uh, near <laughs> there is, there's like I don't know, why don't you ring the the, uh, the tourist board or something like <laughs> open Monday to Friday to five. I'm just gonna get it up just just to read some of the tweets if I'm not if if some not having block were bastards. Um <laughs> here it is, Sam Allardyce, official big Sam. This is him. On, this is him on Saturday. Back in beautiful Sunderland! Exclamation mark. The preparation for Tuesday's game with Palace is underway. Dot dot dot. See you all at the Stadium of Light. Not him. 
<laughs> Want to thank all the West Ham fans who gave me a good reception yesterday, exclamation mark. Thoroughly enjoyed my time at the club and wish him all the best, did he fuck? <laughs> he fucking hated it. This, <laughs> this is it, the bloke, like, it tried, en- tried engineering yeah. his leave from the club. Hey, it, it, it directly contributes what's in his book as well. <laughs> that statement. Contradicts. <laughs> Contra- yeah, contradict- yeah, both. <laughs> um, but yeah, just, just like, it's, it's so brazen, it's just hilarious. Um, though I reckon he gets less abuse than if Steve Mack had uh, <laughs> from us at least Stoke Mickey how's it going to go? I wouldn't uh, I don't know I don't want to put a score on it I'm too nervous it's, it's become particularly in light of the weekend um, the results are going in our favour it's become such an important game for us I think I think it's really going to define the rest of our season if we win it might just put a little bit of confidence in the players to get a couple of uh, a couple of half decent results over the next next six weeks or so and sneak out of it. I think if we lose, we're heading into summer at home, which is the biggest game in the season, on a bit of a downer, and we're going to struggle. I'm, I'm going to try a little bit and be an optimist and say we'll sneak it 1-0, but... If we're going to be realistic about it, we won't score away from home. We can't not concede away from home. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> in all honesty, I think we're going to get beat two 0 Yeah, I mean that's what I've, I've done. My match preview is online now with True Faith. I mean, yeah, let's get one thing out of the way. We're, we're going to lose. Like it's Newcastle away from home under McLaren. I think now, genuinely, I can't. I don't have time or the resources to check all of the leagues across the country. But all of the league tables I could find, right down to like the joint eighth tier, obviously it's regionalised. We've scored the, the least amount of away goals. And that's in in like I, I, everything. I, I, I refuse to believe there is a team that has performed better away from. I mean, obviously a couple of teams probably haven't won games, but goal scoring and, and chances created were, were the worst team in the in, the, in England. And yet we beat went and beat Spurs at White Hart Lane. Yeah. But you see, we beat Spurs and we beat Bournemouth and smashing grabs, which is you know crucial points. And obviously Spurs, it's only their second defeat of the I season. Spurs, well, I wouldn't have said Spurs was a smashing grab. I mean, obviously the timing of the goal, but it was. I don't mean it wasn't to it was one of the best performances away. It was a very, very tight game. We got a yeah. goal at the end, so it was like a bit of a. But the, Spurs never had a chance. The to frustrating react. thing about it was just we've not put in a performance like that since like away from home, whereas the, to show the potential, like we can. Compete with with good teams, um, yeah. But just we don't for whatever reason we've not just not shown that resolve. And I mean the the Chelsea game is just rock bottom. I mean three 0 down after twenty minutes or whatever it was was just pathetic. So I think I mean it's the Stoke are one of those teams they've not really got a huge amount to play for. You don't really think they're going to sneak into the UEFA at the Euro uh, Europa League places. They're not obviously in any sort of relegation. Battle. It's just a, a bit of a nothing game for them. So I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. I, obviously, all the impetus is going to have to be on us to try and sort of take the game to them, and it's probably going to play into their play into their hands perfectly because they've got just bags of pace and quality up front to hit on the counter. It's probably going to be a game where they'll they'll just knit, sort of pick off for a couple of good, couple of goals. I think Arnautovic is going to tear us the new one. He's, he's like the the worst kind of forward for our defence to come up against like strong big a bit like a bit aggressive Colchini in November just can't handle that yeah. at all they couple that with with Shaka Shakari's fit isn't he Shakari's back who um, sorry Shakari on the wing oh Shakari Shakari yeah. We're not going to stop and score, and there's two ways about it. We're not going to stop and score, and we can't score away from them. There's just nothing positive, is there? Like, we've had 18 days to sit on this and think about how we can get something out of this game, and I've, I've, I've come up with nothing. Yeah. I, I can't disagree. I uh, put in the preview that um, it's time to realise that Newcastle, a lot, of, a lot of Newcastle fans, in my opinion, don't realise this, and especially the ones who. Biz- like fair enough if you're optimistic I, I can't share your optimism and I, I hope I'm wrong about Newcastle getting relegated I, I really am but I can't, I can't see any other outcome um, but even the optimists have to admit that Newcastle under Steve McLaren is the banger this is the ba- Stoke fans violent Newcastle at home what a week no pressure no stress just six points 
just six points. That's that's what Newcastle are away from home now. Six points, well, three points. Um, and the, that's that's the second season in a row. We had the second worst away record last year. Three wins out of nineteen. Only QPR had a worse away record. And you know, there's, it's just this is it. This this is everything that Lee Charmy has. He got he got his manager. He got the manager he wanted. He didn't want anyone else. He got the manager he was prepared to risk relegation for. The manager who was sacked by Derby. The manager who we had to fight off no one for his signature. So we got his manager. The club seemingly got all of their targets, all of them. They got Wijnaldum, they got Mitrovic, they got Mbemba, they got Shelby, they got Townsend. These, you know, touted as the club's targets. The only one you'd say they missed out on is Berahino, but Berahino's not going to sort out where away from by himself. So this is it. This is Lee Charlie's Newcastle United. This is the best he has got to offer. He could not have done any better. I don't think there are any players out there he could have gone and got that he was willing to buy. So this is it. And in Newcastle... It's it's not the fact they can't score away from home. It's not the fact that they don't uh, create chances away from home. It's that we can't compete. The last two away games, and even Watford before that, we hardly put a glove on Watford in the two-one defeat until until we're two 0 down. This is this is it. We can't even make a game of it at the moment. We didn't make a game of it at Watford. We didn't get, make a game of it at Everton. Everton, and we didn't make a game of it at Chelsea. And that's three games of football in a thirty-eight game season. We couldn't even compete. I mean, you look at the varying. You wouldn't even say. Well, just before you, you wouldn't even say though that those that those three teams like three were brilliant. Teams. Three they bottom were, half teams, exactly. <laughs> and they, they they weren't brilliant to to beat with yet. They've all comfortably smashed with. Yeah. So so there's just for me it's a it's a defeat and then it, it places massive importance on the Bournemouth game. They had they had the opportunity to sack them with that break after the Chelsea game. Then they're not they are not going to sack them. Uh, you could lose the next two games. They're not going to sack them. Um, and I imagine that. The boogies still make us favourites to stay up, and a lot of these mathematical predictors. People at the end of every game, you see these chances of relegation based on form and and, and a, very, a lot of other factors. Still have Newcastle to stay up above the likes of Swansea, Sunderland, Norwich, purely and simply because we're out of all of those teams, we're the only team who've got four bottom half teams Two. at home that's, to, to play. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. what the whole the whole the whole season relies on: four bottom half teams at home to play Swansea, Sunderland. Bournemouth and Palace, so that's that's those four bottom half teams to play. That still only takes us to thirty six points. Mm-hmm. We're not going to win all four, but you know, it's just saying Newcastle won all four. There's obviously Spurs at home, um, or Man City, Man City at home as well. But as well. so fair enough. But that takes us to thirty six. It's not enough to stay up. Four wins at home will not keep us up. You'll need more than thirty six points. I'm I'm convinced of it. I don't know the teams around where like, you keep saying that, but the teams around where aren't going to be picking up these these magical points either. Yeah, so, but they play us. <laughs> yeah, but we're at, at the, we'll not we'll not well Norwich away is going to be a massive worry. Huge game. We should massive. probably go. I've said this before. We should probably go. Uh, <laughs> that's I don't even want to think about like <laughs> what, no, what, what could happen. Yeah, what could happen? Yeah. Mike, do you want to come to that yeah, one? Yeah, do you want to fancy it, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> no chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I Norwich a little bastard as well with their ticket prices that absolutely take people's eyes out. Like forty-two quid and that for Norwich pricks. Ridiculous. We're only charging bloody sun in 47. <laughs> <laughs> um, fucking Delia struggling on City Push a fucking cookery book. So yeah, exactly. But uh, I just marks. can't see anything else than defeat. I'd love to be wrong. Um, but, you know, what, McLaren, he's had, what, he's been here since June? Is 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 10 days away in fucking Spain. <laughs> right, we're sorted. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 we just found the problem just near the end. We've we, we fixed it. <laughs> like, he's, he set the team up... Um, in all different ways, when uh, Man City and Palace had a real go, really open attacking formation, conceded eleven. Uh, went to Chelsea, <laughs> went to Chelsea and Everton and tried to play really defensively and conceded eight. <laughs> and like, there's just no team in the league has conceded four goals or more more times in Newcastle. Um, you know, there's just there's just no way we're going to get anything from Stoke. Stoke got eighth in the league. Uh, had a little. Not a criticism, but a lot of people have been going over the top about the way Stoke play this season. I know, Mike, you're going to talk about it, so don't take too much of your thunder away. But uh, the Duck magazine and it has just been having a bit of a dig about my match preview there, saying that they don't hoof it. And, and you know, he, he obviously watches Stoke a lot more than me or you lads. But all I remember is Johnny Walters by himself at St. James's playing the lone role <laughs> 30 yards from anywhere else, watching balls fly over his head. Going off the frames. <laughs> That's how Stoke played in Newcastle. It might not be representative of the whole season, but what else? What else? I'm not going to base my opinion of them on apart from the one game I saw them play live when we obviously should have won the game. And Jack Butland played very well. 
Uh, I think that just about does it for, for Stoke. I mean, we'll, we'll 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 do the we'll have a bit of a synopsis on Friday's radio show. Um, should Mickey, is there anything else you want to add about Stoke? Not really. Um, I'm dreading it. I'm absolutely dreading it. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> quite a funny tweet from McMartin saying uh, my at TFX. Uh, 892 Stoke v NUFC preview was annoyed at Doug, Mo- Doug Mark Stoke we're doing something right hashtag ugly Stoke <laughs> <laughs> um, Mike with that beautiful bit of podcast production why don't you leave us leave a, lead <laughs> why don't you leave us <laughs> lead us in <laughs> riled Doug Mark's got us riled um, it, it was going to be such a seamless link wasn't it Doug? yeah seamless link lead us into what is uh, the traditional 10 things we hate about this season so far, we did it last year, and it was a much listened to podcast. So, why don't you take us away with your first one, Mike? Well, yeah, first one, as you've alluded to, just a quick one, really. But the, the whole Stoke Alona uh, rhetoric that has been around the press this year, um, constantly, certainly in the first half of the season, but constantly being told about how many Champions League winners like Stoke now have in their squad, um, despite the fact that the large majority have played very few games and actually winning those. Uh, winning those tournaments but um, Stoke have played well at times this season that Man City game they, they look great but the, the rhetoric around them and this whole football you look at them they've struggled to, to get above a, a goal a game ratio all season they've got 29 goals in 27 Premier League games only two more than the next game played so they're not exactly free flowing free scoring team um, and, and they seem to have struggled this season against against smaller teams um, to, to, to get themselves up to that. <laughs> so I, I, I just it's just it's just wound me up a bit that uh, I think it's years of bashing Stoke under Pulis. Any sign of a change in, in the press of uh, being it, being keen to jump on. Um, uh, but I, I think they've been solid. But I don't think they've been anything outstanding like uh, like many people would have led you to believe this year. I think that's a good point, and obviously I'm going to echo you on that, and I'll take it a bit further in the praise for Mark Hughes. Let's say one thing first. Stoke are a, are a well-run, respected Premier League team that deserve to be in the Premier League. They've grown their fan base since promotion. Um, and Well, I don't know about the attendance is surely from, from when they've come up. They, they, they fill the Britannia most of the time, which is what you want to see. Um, ticket prices for the Britannia as an away fan, I've been three or four times, are reasonable. Um, before, you know... Um, you know, deals came in. Stoke, I can't ever remember paying more than 30, 30 quid odd for a ticket in the Stoke away end. So well done, Stoke. I don't hate Stoke or anything like that. And obviously, eighth in the league is is an achievement for a club of Stoke's size. They've invested well. Peter Coates, propped up by the podcast lads, <laughs> uh, is doing a great job um, with all the money that you lads put in put into his Betfair. Is it Betfair? Yeah, yeah Bet365. Bet365. Bet uh, accounts. So listen, I don't. I, have, I certainly do not hate Stoke or, or wish them any, you know, ill. Um, however, the what 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 grinds my gears is uh, the fact that Mark Hughes is obviously a British manager, well respected, well liked. He's a good manager, you know. Fair. Play, I don't have any particular problem. But you've probably heard me complain before about the phrase, "When is Mark Hughes going to get the praise he deserves?" Well, Mark Hughes took over a team that was mid-table in the Premier League, and he now commands a team which is mid-table in the Premier League he's gone into the top 10 and that's good and it's progress over four years of solid steady progress and he is according to Stoke fans um, revolutionised the way that uh, they play football I, I think Stoke deserve a lot more praise for their defensive record uh, there's only I think there's only two teams conceded less at home than Stoke I think that's something to be applauded and if, if you want to call them Stoke alone Mike call them Stoke alone because of the defence which is very, very similar to Barcelona's and that's the hardly conceding any goals um, so that's all good, but let's let's you know. Mark Hughes has not won anything with Stoke. He's not taken them into any kind of European. He, he has had them in Europe, but he hasn't you know got to the semi final or the final of the Europa League. He hasn't threatened the Champions League places. He's just pretty much kept them ticking along nicely, and he deserves credit for that. But because of his friend, you know, the fact that so many people who and I'm sure it's because he's a nice bloke, um, and he, he does his bit with the media. Um, there's just this clamour to be like, well, when when are people going to start talking about Mark Hughes? Well, you're, you're literally doing it right now. <laughs> Um, and there's just there's just this constant clamour for and it happened with Pardew earlier in the season it's like Pardew look at the job Alan Pardew is doing they are 7th in the Premier League when is someone going to give Pardew the credit even though all of the pundits 
all of the time go out of their way to write articles specifically praising Mark Hughes and Alan Pardew. <laughs> and then it just does your head in. I, 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 I imagine Pardew might come up in this section, so I think I'll, I'll leave him now, Mike. Have you got a second one for us? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit bit more in-depth, but really looking at the, the loan system and, uh, and the impact that it has on, uh, on developing young players over here. Um, I mean, if you just look at the, the beginning of this season, it's the problem with the, the top team stockpiling players at the moment. Um, Chelsea, at the beginning of the year, had 33 players out on loan. 33 players, in addition to their 25-man squad, they've just got out on loan, uh, being paid all, all around Europe, around, around the country. And I just think it's it, it's a ludicrous state of affairs that, that hinders the development of, of young players massively. It, obviously, the loan system has, has its purpose and uh, uh, and it works well for, for several players. But I think if you look at the large majority of these these teams having tens of players out on loan every season, they're not gonna they're not gonna ever pull on a shirt for for, for that club for their parent club. They're gonna go around several seasons in a row, different different clubs, different managers, different styles of play, um, that they might be played out position. They don't have any chance whatsoever um, to, to have any consistency at a young age to, to actually start building and honing their talent, um, unless they're very lucky. Um, and I think you sometimes forget that these young players, they might be very talented footballers, but they're, 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 they're humans at the end of the day. If you think, like, when you move somebody, if you move somewhere at 18, um, then you have to move somewhere else at 19 and, and do a job of work under under pressure. Um, it, it's very difficult, and I, and I don't think there's enough to thought when you're just stockpiling players like that purely um, to stop your competitors, other big teams, from snapping them up. Um, I think as a consequence of that, you're just farming them out with no thought of ever playing them in the future. Um, uh, uh, and it's, uh, it really, really, really hinders their development because there's not that solid base for them. Um, and, and, and it's very, very difficult, apart from uh, the lucky few, um, for them to ever, ever, ever reach the heights and play at the top level. Um, I, I don't know what you think of that, but I just think over the last few years, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's a list of players, the likes of John Bostock, um, the, these players that get signed for millions of pounds just to stop other other top teams from buying them and they get farmed out on loan every year at a different club uh, without any thought behind where they're being sent and, and how that will develop them and benefit them as a player. And uh, I think it's, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real problem for the, for the development of young players in this country. It's frustrating. I mean, you look at that um, Patrick Roberts that City signed for like 12, 13 million who was a great prospect at Fulham. Obviously played in the England youth teams. Like looked, looked like he could be some a real good player and you compare it to the likes of Deli Ali who come from a, a, a lower obviously well they, they come from League One but he obviously learned his trade as they say playing football yeah exactly but he, he's, he's then come into Spurs who haven't um, sort of formed him out they've, they've put him straight in at the first team and you have to give a lot of credit to Spurs obviously they've got a lot of money they're obviously under pressure to be competing with these teams yet they've sort of done it the right way by Getting a, a few core sort of quality players, but then trying to sort of give, give, give the talent that they've got on the books an opportunity, um, and obviously it's, it's it's paying dividends for England at the minute. But just that that Patrick Rock, I think I saw he's gone back out on loan. Um, on eighteen month loan to Celtic. Yeah, and it's, it's just like what is that going to do? Like, go to, yeah, exactly. Go going to Scotland. Like yeah. how is that going to help them whatsoever to go and play? For the best team by an absolute mile, they're not even in Europe. Like they've not yeah. got um, European competition for them to be sort of playing in. So he's not going to get. Not anything to do with it. <laughs> exactly, and it's just it's just a mental um, sort of deal to, to farm him out there. Like why the other, why, why did the, the, the go from? Because he's clearly never going to get. The, the get other side a shot. of the coin, though, Ben, is like I, I agree with what you're saying, but obviously not every like Chelsea can't not every Chelsea player can go in the first team. Dali Ali went the first team because he's good enough. Oh, obviously, but but, but why? Well, if, but if they're not that, if they're not good enough to be, yes, yes, you're right. On why that you point. buying them in the first? Because place? And, and it, it, it's very similar to what to what's been happening in Scotland for years, with which has had a real knock-on effect to Scotland's national team. Mm-hmm. That Celtic and Rangers before them, Celtic now. And I, I, forget, I should know, but I forget the name of the two lands. They bought two lands from Dundee United oh, who Armstrong. were flying and are nowhere near Celtic's team. Is it Stuart Armstrong? It's, 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 it's the fact that 
They simply buy players to stop their competitors from gaining any momentum or strength, and that just has a knock-on effect that young footballers who might turn out to be one one season wonders, who might turn out to be flashing the pans or playing above the level, but you never know because they sit and play on Celtic's reserve team or so that, that that's the real danger of, of happening in England. And, and over the past few years, in fact, I, I know I'm, I'm I'm moving on to a different point now because it's not necessarily loans and it's the same thing. But you look at the likes of Jack Rodbell, yes, he's terrible. Like <laughs> now for Sunderland. Um, you know these players moving for, for for quite big money, quite young. Could you say Raheem Sterling has developed at Manchester City? Yeah, You'd have um, to say he's regressed massively, mm-hmm. and that feeds into your point, Mike. It's that um, that uh, consciousness from the, these these big clubs that, and particularly Chelsea, like you said, with thirty three players, there is no way that is benefiting Chelsea's first team. You cannot argue that Chelsea's culture and um, you know, loan loan system that they have is in any way benefited Chelsea's first team compared to having a far smaller pool of players going on loan or or, or playing for their under twenty one seed uh, teams for for English clubs. That's I mean that's the point. sorry Mike just quickly that that's the point there. I mean you mentioned still in there. I I couldn't believe how poor he was um, in, in the Corner Cup final and it, he's, he's had his moments this season but nowhere near as many as he did at Liverpool. And I think it's the mentality that a massive move like that and basically just get, get, being given everything at such a young age, um, just he just looks like he, he doesn't care really. He's not really putting any real effort in. Um, I mean, he certainly wasn't putting himself about the other, the other day. And you'd think against Liverpool of all teams, that would be the one, that, that one game, cup final. You've left Liverpool because you never thought they would win, mm. win anything. Obviously, they won one, so he's right in that respect. But... <laughs> Um, it's just time that I knew, lads. Yeah, exactly. I knew, but but it, it was just the fact that if, if that's the one game you want to turn up and and sort of if you get booed off the fans and that's the one game you'd think you'd want to turn up and and put everything into it and he was just a passenger for a lot of the game, really wasteful and it's it's harming his his England chances. I think he, yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't be playing twelve months ago. He was a, a show in for England, like without a doubt. Now I, d- I don't think he'd get in the team and there's plenty of others. At, in that same sort of ilk that they've they've been given far too many riches and it's just the it's it's a joke that they've lost the the We're going from the loan system the <laughs> young players in this country getting too much money no Mike. but it is I think it's that it's, it breeds it breeds so this is one of best complacency it is this is one of mine it just breeds complacency and it, what I mean what what left have they what left have they got to achieve now what left have it's, they got it's to all achieve? it's all about money like they're not Man City aren't going to win the league they're not going to win the Champions League. So they've, they've hit their peak this season winning that League Cup. It's just... It's yeah, killing Mike, Mike, back to the loan system. Yeah, I, I think it, it, can, it can have uh, have, have a benefit for teams. But I don't think... I think we've gone after Chelsea quite a bit here. I think... Uh, <laughs> you that, have. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I'm rightly so. But I think it's, it's not just that Spurs, actually. Um, we've been just as bad as over the last few years as well. They've had... 30 odd players out on loan if you look at Andros Townsend being on loan 9 times Kane was on loan 7 or 8 times it's obviously worked um, certainly for, for Kane but I think that practice is not sustainable um, but I think the likes of Chelsea have found it a, a very useful business model to stop other other teams from developing these players and, and having that advantage but then also making a bit of sell money um, from these players uh, the, the majority of them will be getting paid a large portion of their wages by the by the recipient club that has them out on loan um, and, and Chelsea can always uh, can always rope them in if they ever need an extra um, English homegrown player for their squad so I think there's a there's a mercenary nature about the loan system at the moment that, that that's uh, that is damaging to it. Um, I think it can certainly work, but I think at the moment it needs some, some checks and balances on it. Yeah, totally agree. Miggy, what have you hated about this season so far? Um, two things. I kind of, I wish Bolland was on for this one because one of them is uh, Bolland. directed mostly <laughs> at him. Um, first of all, people that hate Leicester, it's really starting to wind me up. Everyone for years and years has complained like in stages it's only Man United and Arsenal going to win the league until until Chelsea came out it's only Chelsea and Man United that are going to win the league it's only Chelsea and Man City that are going to win the league and now out of nowhere Leicester are on top of the league with three months to go with an exciting English striker leading the line Mahrez across the fire on the ground absolutely class on the wing exciting football and people are kicking off about it as they hate Leicester I, I just I can't understand 
how that that can be an opinion. How can you how can you claim to like football if you don't enjoy what Leicester are doing this season? For me, it, it, it's backwards. Can I just I'll I'll, I'll play devil's advocate because I totally agree with you, but I'll, I'm going to be Bolland. Shall I? I'll, I'll go bold. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's harsh. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so Mickey, what what I would say as Bolland is that it just serves as frustration that Leicester, with a fraction of the fan base um, and basically no real money spent, yeah, just um, well. are managing, managing to do what Lee Charney says is impossible and will never do. That's why he doesn't like it. I get that. I get that opinion, but. If you take out the fact that it's not us, which obviously I, I desperately wish it was, it'll never happen, but I desperately wish it was. If you, if you take that out, you can't not like Leicester. <laughs> well, <Yeah. fair> <laughs> uh, a piercing argument. <laughs> the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I've said it before, Leicester cannot win the league this season. I will not stand for it. Two reasons. There cannot be a team that wins the league with goal music. It just can't happen. It would normalise it. They can't. It, it shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be allowed to win the league if you if you play goal music after you score. It's it's wrong though, isn't it? It's like it's a fuck. Can you imagine if they played like fucking Chelsea dagger at St James's after the score? Like, <laughs> and, and, and leave and, and loads of loads of dafties next to you, like bouncing up and down and dancing. Oh my god! Like honestly, I would. It would kill me inside if Newcastle ever started playing goal music. And for that for that reason, Leicester should get relegated. Really, also clappers. <laughs> They've given out. They've said they've spent some like three hundred thousand pounds this season on clappers. Fucking give it to a three hundred thousand pounds on clappers. Yeah, give, give it. To a, give it to a charity. Give it to someone. Come on, clappers. It. Le- got Le- fans. The, the the atmosphere at Leicester isn't terrible. There's a there's a bloke with a drum, and there's a there's a like a singing section next to the away fans. Like I've beat. I went before in the championship. The atmosphere was decent for. So like, it's not like they needed to do it. So if, I mean, for that reason, forget all the other reasons. They must not win the league, in my opinion. <laughs> None, none, of, none of the other title contenders play goal music in the, the streets ahead of them for that alone. Like, it just can't happen. Like, if you look at... People say Bayern Munich are a big club, play goal music, so they're not. People say Real Madrid and Barcelona are a big club, play goal music. It's just, like, why would you even... Why would you even... Anyway. Next one, Miggy. I'm a little bit sick of hearing about how good Guardiola is and how good it's going to be for the Premier League. I think... But don't get me wrong, Guardiola is obviously a very good manager and he, he changed the style of play at Barcelona into, into something that people claim is new, it's not new, but the pressing game is not new, it was just slightly different under Guardiola. But it was effective and it worked and they were, they were a good team. But people seem to forget that Guardiola has taken on two jobs where he, he, he's taken on the two best teams in the world by an absolute mile and just continue to be successful with them. I think, uh, in my opinion, for Guardiola to be classed as a great manager, he's got to take on a harder job. So, like the two? basically, anyone that's not the best team in the world. I, I agree with you, Mickey. Um, and I think two, two managers I'm going to throw out there. Number one, I know he's not thought of in the same breath, but he was Real Madrid manager of the season and was, was very harshly sacked. They were far closer to, to win the league than they are now. Um, and that's Rafa Benitez to win the Champions League and reach two finals with that Liverpool side full of average players yeah the, he, he ended up building a, a good side you know the spine of uh, Reina Carragher Alonso Gerard Torres listen that's a decent team but you look Jermaine Pennant Dirt <laughs> like look at the rest of the, the players he had and he Schmitter Schmitter scored in the final yeah like Vladimir Schmitter scored in the Champions League final oh right, man you know so, you know what <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, and it's just like you know, he got the the most out of a of a not average, but certainly not a top class team. And he like you've got to, and, and obviously winning the league with Valencia as well. Guardiola just has nothing like that in a CV. And even Mourinho, he did what he did at Porto, which was ridiculous. Like to win the Champions League, I don't care about who they played in the final. Win the Champions League with Porto is with that team who who cost zero to put together is just incredible but then also to go to Inter Milan to Inter Milan again with a deeply deeply average side and win the Champions League yeah come back Guardiola when you've done something like that don't just keep taking like like you say Mickey the richest teams in every yeah, league with the, best the richest assets like, I'm going to do it I'm going to move to England I'm going to prove myself 
it's like if, if that was us talking to each other imagine if like one of us now said oh I'm going to try and win the league on football manager it's going to be really difficult are you going to put on extra hard yeah who are you going to be Man City well that's what <laughs> you'd be like that, that, that's what he's doing in real life so Mickey you're, you're spot on there I'll give you that one and we want to disagree nah <laughs> spot on well it, it's going well Ben can you give us your two please um one of the frustrating it's not really specific about this season just how much of an effort it is to like watch football these days and the points I'm going to pick out three away games we've had Everton Wednesday oh, I thought, midweek I was tell you that I was going to say there's loads of it mate well that, that's <laughs> another point I know, like another point on that but just the, the fixture lists and stuff like that they, they come out with some ridiculous like times for games and things like that when, I mean two midweek games in, in a space of three away games for Newcastle when, when we're in a fucking relegation battle, everyone wants to go to as many games as they can and go and support lads. And you've got a fucking trek to Everton and fucking Stoke within three games of each other away on a Wednesday night. Like, what the fuck are they playing at? There's no need for that. It's absolute bullshit. And then just the... Like, we don't get that many three o'clock games at all. Like, we're always on a Sunday or something stupid. And it just, it just pisses off that it, it just mullers all your crack because you can't... On a Sunday, you can't really go out and get Larry and get Mortal and everything because you've got to work the next day. So that just kills it. Like the stupid uh, times, like letting evening kick off. Monday, uh, less, than, less than Monday night. Monday nights. It's just shit. Like, what are they playing at? It's the same for all fans, isn't it? It's not just Newcastle. But just put fucking games on, on a Saturday. I suppose, like, we obviously travel more, as I'm told, there's not much in it, more than any other team in the league. So. You, they pay absolutely no attention to that factor that they don't give no. any special treatment. Well, I mean, we've got basically um, the Birmingham teams, team, to, yeah, the Birmingham teams, Manchester and Liverpool sides is is really games you could do in a day. Everything else at a weekend, like fair enough, you get London, you know, on the train and back in a day. But the, the Bournemouth game was an early yeah, kick off, twelve, 12 o'clock kick off. What, what the plan? It did no, not no, um, you know, no considerations given to the to the to the lengths that Newcastle fans and Sunderland fans. I've got to go, but then you don't see someone getting messed about as much. No, nah. it's it's new, Newcastle. Uh, getting West Ham at twelve o'clock this weekend. That's a bad one. It's yeah. unnecessary. Yeah, that's that's right. I'm just thinking time to travel the length of the country for an early kickoff, which they could just not have as the early kickoff. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when nobody wants to watch West Ham something on telly. Exactly. <laughs> just the games are put. Exactly, and the games that they choose for TV is bullshit as well. It's absolutely ridiculous. It just pisses off. Right. Next point. The the football one, the watching it as well pisses off. <laughs> just the obviously the fucking put it on BT now, which I, I don't have. Obviously I've got it now thanks to you. But even then, it's across like three different channels on the fucking yeah. BT as well. Like so, you have to pay for all these fucking stupid packages to have add-ons and stuff like that. They literally make it the hardest thing in the world to to watch. Like it's just not it's so much money. Um, and, and the timings of putting games on and they move them for TV for the benefit of other people in the, around well, the this world is, this it's is not the, for fucking English fans this is fans, the thing is it? Ben isn't it this it's, is it's the, Asia. the crack with the, the large streaming services like Amazon Prime Netflix even um, and then obviously Apple Apple, you know, Apple TV and uh, iTunes that's the crack and Yahoo that the next big TV deal in three or five years whenever it's going to be multi-platform so for a, for a fan to have to is going to have to subscribe to like five or six <laughs> different services to watch it's every game ridiculous. which they know people will do I'd, yeah. I would I know I, I know I shouldn't but I would because because <laughs> I want to watch it yeah because I want to watch it because I'm fortunate enough to be able to afford it and they're just going to keep taking it's never going to stop the absolute screwing of fans kick off times high ticket prices is never going to stop unless there's serious action taken by football fans which which could happen, but it doesn't look likely at the moment. Even then, I don't think I think there's that much money in it worldwide that it would have a big impact. But I, I still don't think it would dictate as much as the sort of Asian markets, for example. Um, what percentage of Newcastle's turnover comes from gate receipts? I think it's it's or an average it, Premier League team, not necessarily. A team. I, I should know. It's I'll, not much, I'll, is it? Hold on, there. I'll find out. Is that your both your points done? There's a couple of others, but no, I've just cracked on. <laughs> well, additionally to what Ben just said there, what annoys me a lot is the fact that I know America get this, I think New Zealand get this, and that there's probably a load more countries out there that get full, complete access on the TV, not streaming or anything like that, full access on the TV to every single Premier League game, but we don't get it, even though it's our league, 
our country. Yeah, but Mickey, that's good. Like, you get to watch more Vietnamese. Yeah, but the, the, there's a reason for that, and it's because three o'clock kickoffs in the in the in England are protected, so that the smaller clubs, like if you look at look at other other countries, mate, and you look, there's no football pyramid. There is, but the teams, you know, Germany, Spain to an extent, France, the the you know the Championship, League One and Two, at every single level is absolutely dwarfed by attendances. For here, because there's a real connection to football clubs as a football culture, so I disagree with you there. I wouldn't want I wouldn't want those clubs to lose out. Um, I, don't, I don't think it would be as big an impact if if games were shown on TV. People say, "Oh, it would would kill the game." I think people still would go to the match. I don't know. I think they would. I just think. <laughs> Have you ever watched a Friday night championship game? There's <laughs> <laughs> no one there. Yeah, exactly. Good point. Thanks, Mike. That's Friday night. I'm talking <laughs> about Saturday, three o'clock. <laughs> Yeah, I've got Mickey. I've got the, so the turnover of the last accounts was 129 million, um, and okay. match day was. There's a t- 2014 accounts, so not the most recent ones. Match day was only 25.9 and 25.6 from commercial, which is a mixture of like corporate stuff, but selling of shirts and that. So TV Perfect. was 78.3 of 129.7. Is this percentages, sorry. No, this or is the money. Million. So, so a fifth. Is it, is it a fifth? Is it twenty minus twenty? One basically. One thirty minus twenty-five. Is it twenty-five? Yeah, it's about a fifth, give or take. So four. So fifths. five five fives would be one hundred twenty-five. Maths with TFT. So obviously, it's still a it's still a, a big enough percentage that it can't be ignored. But if you compare it to the TV revenue, if you're going to lose one or the other, you're up. The clubs, the clubs are obviously going to lead the Yeah, I mean, they could let everyone in for free. Basically, they really could with it with the increase in TV money. They, they could really let they could let away our fans in for free. I mean, this isn't the time we should do a dedicated podcast with some people who know what they're talking about on this. <laughs> yeah, uh, not not us butchering yeah. the argument. But yeah, yeah, it definitely. Shut up, man, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good question to ask. It was a good question to ask. We just don't have any answers. <laughs> um, should I do mine? You all probably know what mine are going to be, not just because I wrote them on the WhatsApp group. <laughs> but Louis Van Hal. Louis Van Hal's it. I didn't. I, I wasn't going to do Van Hal because he's been widely discredited. But he does. That he was does, hilarious. Like he, on he the, does. He did, yeah, did he win you over this weekend? Or <laughs> comedy, <laughs> uh, you know how he, he won me over. He admitted afterwards that it was absolutely inappropriate, and he said, and that's I say credit because it was a ridiculous thing to do. It it belittled it belittled the spectacle. It was unprofessional. It embarrassed the fourth official. It wasn't true. His his team are, are, are a bunch of cheats just as much as Arsenal. But he came out afterwards in the post-match interview and said, I, I went to see the referee and I apologise. I got a bit excited. I shouldn't do it again. It wouldn't happen again. That's absolutely the correct course of action because <laughs> it was just a ludicrous thing to do, Van Hall. Um, but my point is going to be, and I've, I've said it already, I've, I've got three points since since we've got spares floating around. So uh, <laughs> we could do what anyone wants to do one more after me. They can't. The first one, I've already put, picked them a bit, is the English manager, like, hyper, like hyper, hyperbole syndrome. Alan Pardew, this season, the the ridicule that, that all of us here, probably you as well, Mike, the ridicule that we were subject to in the national media, particularly from three people, Ian Wright, Jason Burt, I think that's his name, um, of The Telegraph, and Patrick Barkley, who was, listen, who Patrick Barkley, one of my favourite football writers, love hearing him talk about the game, love reading this stuff, but, but, uh, they've all made fools of themselves by coming out publicly publicly and criticising Newcastle United's fan base for what Alan Pardew oh, I thought you were meaning us the podcast no no probably us as well <laughs> if you're listening lads you're wrong no you were t- talking to us about as if like well, no, because people it's like, attacked us it's like, like it's, it's, it, I, I take it personally I do because these people who they didn't watch Newcastle's Alan, Pard- Alan Pardew's Newcastle play regularly they didn't watch them mm-hmm. the, you know it didn't mean anything to them Newcastle going all these unbeaten uh, these games without winning a game sorry um, you know, selling the best players, Pardew thanking Mike Ashley for wins, blaming other people, blaming it. It doesn't matter to them. Yet they they felt compelled and in a position to come out and say, actually, you you lot, you are you are wrong. Uh, you let biased and uh, stupidity cloud your judgment. And Alan Pardew has proved me and all the other football fans who said you were wrong, who said you didn't know how good you had it. He's proved you're right. And he's going to be the next England manager. That's what Patrick Bartley said. He's the next England manager. He's proven the Castle fans wrong. Where are you, Patrick? 
Where are you? Where, where, where are you? Yeah, where's, where, where, where are you, Patrick? Where, you, you haven't been on Twitter in six days. What's your crack? Like, what, 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 what is your opinion One. of Alan Pardew's three points and 30? What is your opinion of Pardew taking Palace from 5th in fucking December to 13th now? Where are you, Patrick? Jason, with your massive piece in the Telegraph special about how Newcastle fans were wrong and Pardew did a great job. What do you think, Jason? You're silent. You're not saying anything. Like, you know, surely they've got to come out and say something. Silence. Absolute silence from all these people who criticise Newcastle fans, people who watch their club for years, who pay money, thousands of pounds a year to watch their club, were deemed to be stupid and wrong. And it was case closed. Well, case back open, lads. Get in, dog. Go on, sir. <laughs> Uh, so that's my first one. I couldn't agree more strongly with that, by the way. It's been glorious to see Pardew's descent, which we all saw coming and have spoken about multiple times. The Pardew's line is well and truly in motion. Ian Wright got asked about it on Match of the Day too. He's another one, Ian Wright, with his tweet saying, oh, you can't sack Pardew.com, where, where are you now, and all this kind of stuff. Silence. You can get Ian Wright. Silence from Ian Wright. Paul, Paul Merson, one of the, the biggest thought. I mean, I know he's a fucking idiot anyway, yeah. but... Like he used to every week you would watch on a Saturday and he'd predict a Newcastle defeat under Pardew yeah. yet he'd sing his praises about how great a job he's doing. Well if you think they're gonna fucking lose every week, Paul, he can't be doing that good a fucking job. Ian Wright on much of the day two got asked by like really awkward, got asked, Palace aren't doing very well, do you see a way out for them? He just looked at the ground. Well, you, you know, it's difficult for, for the manager and that. But I think, you know, Balassi's back so so I think things will pick up. What? One player? So you're basically saying your fucking manager and your your mate uh, Pardew, who you're saying is the next England manager, is utterly reliant on one player he inherited from the previous manager. That's literally ten games without a win, seven defeats in ten. One player, and the bloke gets paid to be on telly, and I'm sat here in my kitchen talking to you, lot. <laughs> it does it does hold back to that. Was it not a radio show long, not long ago where Mickey got criticised for for harping on about Pardew or something as well? And they said that someone took took a dig at him. I'm sure. Oh yeah, uh, Mark Blades. Is it Mark Blades, regular listener of the show? Thanks, Mark, on Twitter at TFWeeklyPod. Uh, said said that you had to move on, Miggy. <laughs> move on. Well, we're, well, well, we're all back on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mark, have, have a have a puppet all over this time. I'm going to stick with the football media for my next most annoying thing of the, the 2015 and 16 season. And lads, it's, it's a difficult one to talk about. So, you know, let's not let's not get too over the top and. And the news broke on Sunday. I remember it very well that John Terry was not going to be offered a new contract by can Chelsea. We just have a minute. Can we just have a minute silence? I'm, I'm well enough, yeah. Like it's what? Like, where do like, you go from after this? Everything he's done. It's just, it's just too much. Like Sky Sports News wall to wall coverage for <laughs> days. They, they cancelled everything. It was a Sunday night football weekend. Sunday night they cancelled. Everything, uh, all the other sports, all the football, to talk about John Terry, the man who was out of contract, who's thirty-four, not offered a new contract. So what, what did they do? What did they decide to do? The you know to get a, a totally unbiased opinion, they got John Terry's best friend on Jamie Redknapp to talk about John Terry not being offered a new contract, and Jamie is was and is furious. Jamie is furious. Jamie's points why this is a scandal. Apart from John Terry being his best friend, let's just forget about that. Number one, after everything he's done for them, which he was paid for, and he did he did call someone, you know, did racially abuse a player. But <laughs> after everything he's done for them, after everything John Terry has done for that club, they're going to let him play for another football team. They're not just going to pay him just to be there. Millions of pounds a year, probably. <laughs> and it's you know, so J- Jamie Redknapp, he didn't just uh, he didn't just leave it there. He's continued to talk about the same subject at every opportunity. He, he made a series of claims after what Chelsea did at Didier Drogba, which, if you look at what they actually did, he wound down his contract to get a massive lucrative move to Turkey, then came back in, in effectively an on-playing role and got paid a fortune Where, for it. Chelsea, uh, China first. China, yeah, China, China then. China, didn't he? And then Chelsea, what what have you done? <laughs> the and, then, and then came back to win, yeah. basically be given a Champions League yeah. medal. And just given loads of money not to play. <laughs> but the way Chelsea treated him. And Peter Cech, letting him, letting him move. Letting him move to Arsenal, Chelsea. How dare you! And now, one, once, um, and, and let's not forget Frank, Jimmy Redknapp's cousin. But let's let's ignore that. What they did, what that team did to Frank Lampard, to allow him to move for more money 
to somewhere else is just a disgrace. And the fact that on every... So, obviously, I've been a bit melodramatic. But the, yeah. fact, <laughs> the fact that... It's, it's the fact that no, no one's like... Surely, the guys in the Sky Sports News studio, the guys on fucking Talk Sport, Five Live, Monday Night Football, Saturday Night Football, every time um, Jamie Redknapp is basically going on national telly to kick off that his mate, who's a multi-millionaire isn't being given more money just because he's his mate. No one said, well, Jamie, obviously you're, you're biased because you're his best friend. Like, I'd love to see his response to that. Like, no no one said, well, we can't get Jamie Redknapp on. He's, he's obviously not able to give a, a face. No, 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 no. To be fair to them, they did. So they, they got Harry Redknapp Yeah, on. they got Harry Redknapp. And, and Ray Wilkins. And Ray Wilkins with it. Who are they, they, obviously, the two most. And everyone's, everyone's turned around and just like, everyone's like, it's quite a I just can't understand it. I just can't understand it. Am I getting an echo there? Have any of you put me on loudspeaker? No. Mike? No, you're not on loudspeaker. <laughs> one, one of you did it because it's gone anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's just it's the way that everyone's like, I just, Jay, uh, sorry, how you read now? I just I can't understand it. I can't. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm, let's... let's... <laughs> Do you not remember the beginning of the season when Redknapp was doing like three or four interviews a month, like basically telling himself out saying it'd be how at Bournemouth? And he's struggling so much, just got promoted in the Premier League. So I'll, I'll be happy to go and help him, but, uh, <laughs> but I've, not, I've not had the call. Yeah, yeah. Behave yourself, Harry. I was thinking, surely one of the broadcasters could have went, right, okay, you're, you're the expert, but I'll try for a second, Harry. <laughs> you're the expert, but here we go. Um, uh, sorry. I've just lost my place there. Yeah, sorry. You're the expert. I'll play devil's advocate here. They're probably thinking they don't have a manager in. Uh, they want the best chance of getting a new manager. So giving a contract to an influential player who's not going to be in the team that much moving forward because he's 34 now. He probably not signed a one-year deal. He probably wants to secure his future as his last contract. If we're getting the contract negotiations with him, he's in a massive position because he'll leak it to the press and all this fucking cunt makes like you <laughs> <laughs> come and do what he's doing for him. It's probably worth just not offering him a contract now, letting a new manager in and leave it to them. Harry, what, what do you think about that? And like, no one, no one ever turned around and did that. No one was like, well, actually, maybe Chelsea have a point here. It was just accepted that convicted racist John Terry, an all-round terrible human being, should be given millions of pounds. Whoa, that's that's an unfair attack. Jamie Redknapp rightfully points out that he does loads for charity. <laughs> they've, they've shared loads of really nice stories about things he's done, so I'll, I'll not have you say that about him. Yeah, well, that was it. That's just, just the John Terry, the most annoying thing of the season for me. Obviously, I could pick loads about Newcastle, but uh, the, the fact that John Terry getting a new contract just went on, and it's still going on now. It's just the, it's the whole like hype about everyone's jumping on the bandwagon, though, aren't they? It's, it's just mental. Like, all not even, guy, he's not even a fucking international. All, I know, exactly. All the, um, <laughs> well, because he's... Yeah, exactly, but it's not like he's some, like, how, you know, obviously, if England didn't pick, you know, if England didn't pick um, a, a number of players this summer or... You know, Spain didn't pick David Silver or Argentina didn't pick Aguero. Everyone would be like, well, that's ridiculous. Do anything you can to get the play. John Terry can't play for England. Everyone's like, good. Don't want him to. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, but it's like, Ch- Chelsea have not offered John? No. No. Like, just, it's just, it's just the, the matey nature of the football media in this country makes me sick. It does, me too. Yeah, yeah. Anything else which has really pissed you off about this season, lads? Um, well, uh, ju- just a very slight one. It's kind of leading on from that um, John Terry debate. Just like it's nothing new this season, but yeah, punditry is dreadful. And one, I think it reached a peak uh, a few weeks ago. See, uh, Sherwood Sky had Sherwood on doing the the tactics, uh, the tactical analysis <laughs> for a game, and it reached a point where he was doing a Villa game. And you know that massive set of forwards they got, Kozak or Kovac or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he came on and, uh, and Tim Sherwood said, be honest, I don't know a lot about him. <laughs> he was there, he was at Villa for the entire tenure. <laughs> the entire time Sherwood was manager there. No, I don't know a lot about the fella. Um, so I, I think that kind of sums it up really uh, pretty nicely and why it's not necessarily surprising that the John Terry thing is, is rumpled on. I saw an article... Uh, a week and a half, two weeks ago, um, I can't remember who the guy the guy was that wrote it, but he, <laughs> he, he didn't read it. Surely, he said <laughs> that he thought 
Man United shouldn't get Mourinho in now. They should sack Van Hall, shouldn't get Mourinho, but should turn to Tim Sherwood. <laughs> I promise. Uh, so I'll tell you who it was, Mickey. I'll, Mickey. I'll put it out. Mickey, I'll put it out on um, on our Twitter thing. Please it do. Was, it was do Paul. It. Mickey, it was Paul Parker. The Paul X-Man Parker. you ever had. As if he's getting paid money to talk about football when he <laughs> said that Man United should get Tim Sherwood. I, I would, I would guess. Thing I've ever heard. I don't think Paul Parker's getting paid by anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a massive guess here. Like right, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stab in the dark. I reckon, and don't ask me. I've got my sources. I reckon Paul Parker and Tim Sherwood would probably have some kind of friendship going on. <laughs> and, I, and I know, I know, it's a serious accusation because Paul Parker would never say anything ridiculous, just like Jamie right now, <laughs> just because it's his mate. <laughs> but uh, you know, one can only speculate. I'm going to have one last dig at Louis Van Hal. Like, have you seen, I knew it was coming. Have you, seen, have you seen the reaction? Have you seen Sherwood, the, get in. Have you seen the reaction to them beating Arsenal? Arsenal, by the way, wow, awful, wow, awful. Arsenal. Literally, you're playing, you're playing Man U reserves. You're literally playing Man United under twenty one, <laughs> and and you've you've turned up. You couldn't, they couldn't even be asked to make fouls. Do you know what I mean? It was like it was that kind of Arsenal performance where it was like. <laughs> Lads, they're, they're young lads, get stuck in. Like Arsenal teams of the past would do with, with the lads that they had. You, you knew you were in a game. Let these lads know they're in a game and it was just powder puff. But anyway, people are coming out saying, oh, well, Van Hall, you know, he's obviously, he's, he's woken up to the Man United philosophy. Bullshit. He's got too many injuries. <laughs> like, he's literally <laughs> had to pick the team he's had to pick. It's got nothing to do with him. He's more asked about flopping about on the touchline than actually managing the team. And, he's, you know, they still got beat off the, the Danish team who aren't even in that league season. They're still massively underachieving. The fact that he was forced because forced into playing some people that he would never normally have played. Just burping there to begin with. <laughs> to begin with, it's just it's just it's, the way that they're back. Man United are back. This is the this this is the real Man United. It is quite funny though. They're only like three points behind Man City now. So you got a couple of games in hand. But City looks shite. As much, as much money like this, but they were awful against that Liverpool team's not great. No, it's not. And they they. We're awful. I think you were worthy winners. Nah, well, I think they should have won. We're going off. We're going off topic, and yeah. I think that's time for the end of the podcast. Bit of a, a rambling one this week. Uh, followers on Twitter, TF Weekly Pod. Thanks everybody who left us reviews on iTunes. We massively appreciate them. Um, and we will be back with a Stoke review. Friday's radio show live, seven o'clock. Radio Northumberland. I'll have to do it. I was supposed to do a quiz last couple of weeks. I've not had time. We'll do a quiz soon. Promise. Uh, and yeah, cheers, lads, for joining in. Thank you. Uh, we will be back soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.